This God, who you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. That's our theme verse from Acts chapter 17, verse 23 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the series called Church Extended. This week's episode is connecting. Here's our spiritual practice. Name one way God has changed your life. Who might benefit from hearing this specific story because of what they're going through right now? Ask God to give you an opportunity to connect with that person, to tell them about the amazing and endless love of God. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Church Extended series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now here's our senior pastor, Perry Duggar. Do you want the Spirit to blow through you first? And then through our body, through our community, our country. May the Spirit come. We continue our survey of Acts, which this part, the latter part of Acts, I've called Church Extended because we see the missionary work of Paul and then his assistants. Uh, Silas, Timothy traveled with him. The title of today's message is Connecting. And it refers to discovering common ground with people so that you can discuss spiritual topics, so you can share the good news. The theme verse that I've chosen, I kind of let each passage tell me what the passage is about, but it's from part of verse 23. This God whom you worship without knowing it is the one I'm telling you about. And that's an example, and we'll see an example, of Paul connecting with these people in Athens through a common interest. When we connect to spread good news, there's several steps that this passage reveals to us. And the first is to examine culture. We should, we should know the culture that we are in. Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be. I'll just cover part of that chapter. Beginning at verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them, and the them is Silas and and Timothy, in Athens. Paul arrived in Athens alone. He had spoken, this is his second missionary journey, he had spoken in Thessalonica. Some jealous Jews raised a mob to riot. They drove him out of Thessalonica to Berea. He was speaking there. Um, some Jews, maybe the same ones, arrived there and started trouble to silence him. The believers in Berea escorted Paul to Athens, and uh, Silas and, and Timothy remained back in Berea. They finished teaching, but they had instructions. They received instructions to join Paul as soon as they could, and that's in Acts 17, beginning at, that, that's at verses 14 and 15. So then we continue in 16. Paul was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And he he observed that there were statues filling the city. Verse 16 and verses 23. Now, Athens was a philosophical center of the ancient world. Name me some 
famous philosophers who taught in Athens? Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. That's good. Y'all get an A in, in uh, ancient, ancient Athenian philosophy. I'm not sure what it's worth. but you. And there were many, many others. But there, there, there were some things that were admirable about this center of philosophy. It meant that these people thought deeply about the meaning and the purpose of life. It was also a religious center. Probably one led to the other. But in Athens, they tried to worship every god in existence. One writer said there were at least 30,000 gods represented. Every public building was dedicated to a, a god. Now, these false gods who were represented and worshipped as idols reveal some positive things. First, it reveals that they understand that there's something greater in this world than them. And in fact, they feared failing to recognize any God. These people, people wisely understood that much of this world was beyond their control. Now that was true then. Guess what? It's true today. The weather, the harvest, health, love, fertility, protection, many, many other aspects of life are beyond our control. Is that fair? In fact, there are not many things within our control. And so these false deities were responsible for managing what was beyond people's control. Now these Athenians, they were not so different as we are. Because see, we also seek support for matters beyond our control. Our culture advocates seeking support from sources other than God and the Scripture. That's where the idolatry comes in. But the zodiac, that's been around forever, and some people really rely on it. But it, it's a diversion from God. Crystals, meditation, mediums, spirits, even discovering, I love this one, Discovering God within. Because I'm thinking, if you're God, why can't you find your keys? <laughs> Relying on material support. I mean, how many of us rely on our, our retirement, our, our wealth, positions of power, fitness? An interesting one that the volume is rising on that I'm hearing more and more is frequencies. You, you need to be in this frequency of love. And self-sufficiency. But there are many others. But here's one positive thing it says. All people know there's a God. 
Because we are people who are fashioned for eternity. And eternity is in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. That's why you, you find few people that say there is, no, is nothing after death. And the ones that declare it, I don't think believe it. That's just defiance. The most outrageous thing you can say is there is no God. There is no afterlife. But we know it. People know it. Innately, it's planted in us. And all of us, people, doesn't matter what continent you're born on, all of us desire to discover something that gives our lives meaning, purpose, and direction. That's global. That's universal. It's, it's part of who people are. So apart from knowing God, who's the only one who can truly give you meaning and purpose, knowing God, but also being known by God. Relationship. We experience emptiness. An inner void, which some writers have called a God-shaped void. It's well said. Unfocused living. What's the point of life? And, and, and these inner feelings drive us toward idolatry. Idolatry takes lots of forms. And so we're warned at 1 Corinthians 10, 14, to flee from the worship of idols. Well, you know why it's there? Because we have an, a tendency to go there. But you just have to open your eyes to recognize idolatry among us. It's not in the form of statues today, but it's present. We're not so tempted to worship statues as the Athenians did, but, but we have other types of statues. I mean, aren't you, if you step back from it, aren't you amazed at how people adore Athletes and movie stars. I mean, aren't you? You don't know those people. You probably wouldn't even like them. And these are the people that give us social commentary. So we have filled that space that only God should occupy with, with entertainment and entertainers and activities and hobbies and sports and accumulation. And so we, we have this drive to something. I mean, people, you know, if you say, well, I don't know what I worship. Well, what do are, what are your tattoos show? <laughs> I love tattoos, but I really love it when someone gets tattooed with something that's misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> I have a mean streak, but it's... It's hidden. Melvin, you think it's hidden pretty well usually? And so, and so these pursuits quiet this inner 
emptiness, this rattling around inside to distract us. That's where obsession comes from, right? Compulsive behavior, that's where it comes from. There's a, there's a missing something. And folks are trying to, I mean, I mean, most obsessive compulsive behavior is out of insecurity. It's an attempt to feel secure. Perfectionism is an attempt to, to feel secure. Control is an attempt to feel secure in an out-of-control world. And these things distract us from reflection about the deeper purposes of life and, and what's really going on in me. Here's a warning, 1 John 5. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Now, what place should God occupy? Salvation, but not alone salvation. Identity, comfort, direction, truth, peace. Add your own. So, what is taking God's place in your heart? Where are you seeking to obtain any of the things I listed and others that you could provide? Where are you seeking it? Because if, if God's not occupying those, those spaces which are, are control within, control without, it's identity, it's, what is the, it's interpretation of this world. If God's not there, what is? Because something is. Because we've heard this, nature abhors a vacuum. Well, that includes people. And something's going to be crammed into the space that only God actually fits and fulfills. Something's in there. Connecting with others enables you to engage opportunities to spread good news. Verse 17. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. What day of the week was that? Saturday, yeah. Paul knew these people desired to know, these people desired to know the Hebrew God. But Paul knew they could never truly know him apart from believing in Jesus, the Messiah who had come. But he had, a, he had a place to start with them because they believed all the Old Testament scriptures that they were aware of, the Torah in particular, the first five books. So they, they believed in the inspiration of scripture. They believed in the all power for God. There were many points of connection with these Jews, but they needed to understand the Messiah. So on Saturday, he went to the synagogues and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. 
Because these Gentiles needed to know the true God to escape their idolatry. In verse 18, he also had a debate with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. That was two dominant uh, philosophies at the time of Paul's visit to, to Athens. Now, who are these? I'm just... I'm only going to give you a very brief definition. We don't have time for that, for that, a lengthy. Epicureans were atheists who sought meaning of life in seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. They believed that gods existed, but they didn't interfere in the lives of people. And they didn't believe in any afterlife. Stoics were very different. Stoics believed in God, but they were pantheists. So they believed that God was in all things. And they pursued the the purpose, the meaning of life as gaining discipline and self-control and becoming indifferent to pleasure and pain, to feeling nothing, needing no one, and that includes not needing God. So Paul said this, he was arguing with them, but when he told them about Jesus and Jesus' resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Now, literally, the Greek image is of a a bird, a chicken, picking up seeds on the ground. So they were really ridiculing him. And saying, well, you're, you know what? You're just picking up ideas from other people and you're just claiming they're yours. And then others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. And remember, these people embraced every god. So they were confused about these, quote, new gods, but they were interested. And so they thought maybe he was introducing some new ones. Perhaps they thought that the word resurrection actually was the name of a goddess. So, but they were interested because they, as, as some of us say in the South, they didn't call any. You know that word? They didn't call any. They didn't get rid of any. There's room for all the gods. Verse 19. Then they took him to the high council of the city, uh, the Areopagus, which was the name of the hill where it met. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. But don't miss this. Paul understood these people. But I think deeper than that, he cared about these people. He cared about these people. And he recognized this as an opportunity to connect with them. So Paul, 
standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. Now I want you to look closely. Paul isn't rebuking these people for their spiritual ignorance. He's not even trying to win a debate. He's trying to win their souls. Very different. Very different. Then he introduced the the, the true God, the Hebrew God, who was unknown to them. Paul knew these people worshipped a long list of gods. Now, of course, that's too many gods. But why not start there? And they had this long list out of, out of an expression of insecurity that they, 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 they had an effort. They wanted to find peace and security. But what they saw, sought from these false gods would, of course, elude them. Paul knew that. Do we know that about people? That, that they're, see, they're pursuing all kinds of things. But we, do we know, because we know God, that none of those things satisfy? So that's where we start, you see? We don't start by trying to criticize. We start by trying to embrace and say, I know you want the best for your family. I know you want the best for your children. I know you want meaning and purpose in your life. See how much different that is? I mean, look at our culture now. What, what unique opportunities are being presented to us to spread good news? We know with this pandemic, and it doesn't really matter how you view, like I said, the virus, the mask, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that. We understand there are people who are feeling isolated and alone. Some are sick, others afraid, some depressed, a number have lost their employment. Our, our, some of our students are really struggling without the support of friends. Those are opportunities. Those are opportunities. And we can choose to either criticize what they're pursuing or we can take advantage of it and identify with them and teach them a better way. So what do you do? Do you reject and avoid people who think differently than you about God and faith? Because remember, the motivation's the same. They're experiencing the same motivation. They just have a flawed expression of it. Or are you praying 
and looking for opportunities to offer them a better way. A better way. See how different that feels than just rebuking someone for ignorance? Would you like a better way? Boy, that sounds different, doesn't it? Connecting to spread good news includes explaining God's nature. Explaining God's nature. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. That's the starting point. There's not another one. And particularly with these Epicureans and these Stoics, Epicureans believed that matter, this physical world, was eternal. So it had no creator. That's a little simplistic, isn't it? Stoics believed God was present and part of everything. So he just, he's this dispute, diffused force. So he was not an intelligent, creative force. He was present in everything. And everything present and part of him. So why did Paul begin with this point? I've got a suggestion. You can surmise your own, but if God is not our creator, then why would any of us be responsible to him for our lives? If he's not an intelligent being with personality, then how could we relate to him? Because essentially we're pantheists, right? If he's not a single being with a definite personality, how do you have relationship? Now, I want you to understand this. You don't have to convince anyone of creation if the Spirit of God is drawing them. And let me tell you this, if the Spirit of God's not drawing them, you might convince them of creation, but they won't be converted to faith. It's two different things, see. You can win an intellectual argument that has no spiritual result. So what I think is wiser is just give some reasonable objections to evolution so that they can sort of set that aside. And consider God. Here's a few. You can jot them down. You can look at them. And you can shoot holes through mine. But, I, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not interested in debating all this. Because I just think it's a way you move an objection. Evolution's not observable, repeatable, or testable. So by definition, it's not scientific. It may be a belief, but it's more of a theory and a philosophy. It's not, it's not scientific. The second law of thermodynamics says that things don't move in a more creative, detailed direction. They always move from more ordered to less ordered. Look at your backyard. Leave it alone a while. And that's, that's called the law of entropy. And you say, yeah, but, but 
children develop, even from, a, from a, you know, just a fertilized egg to a person. But there's a roadmap. There's a DNA roadmap. And the principle of evolution has no DNA roadmap. It says external forces, time and chance, force greater complexity. That doesn't make any sense. There's a lack of transitional forms in the fossil record. That, that, I mean, if, if it supposedly happened over millions and millions of years, there ought to be millions and millions of animals between two species. They're not there. I mean, they have a dinosaur that they say had feathers. Okay. That doesn't mean it's a transitional form. How about this one? The development of incomplete organs. A kidney, a liver, an eye. An eye is so complicated, but you know what? It doesn't function till it's complete. So how did the raw material move in an ever-detailed direction that it didn't know and didn't function? If a being has no vision, how does it know that vision exists at the single-cell level? You see what I'm saying? None of these things make any kind of reasonable, rational, logical sense. Now, you can embrace some of these things if you want to. But don't try to win these arguments. Just say, there's some big holes in it. Will you consider this? Will you consider God? And you can do more research and you can find more, but I don't think that winning the creation argument necessarily wins souls. Verse 24. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. See, if he's the creator, he can't be contained as an unliving statue. You know, the scripture tells us they, they have eyes and can't see, they have feet and can't walk, they have can't, hands and can't move. And human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. How could he be sovereign God and need our service? How could he go hungry and need us to feed him? Whether it be with sacrifices or wheat or whatever. He's self-existent. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. God is all-powerful. He's the giver. He's the provider. And he is not dependent on us. He chooses to love us. Verse 26. From one man, Adam, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. Now I want you to get this. If we understand this, racism is lunacy. All people are created by the same creator. He, he maybe allowed a little bit of variation in us according to the parts of the world we were placed in. We're, we're all related. We have the same ancestor. 
dividing on superficial causes, that, doesn't, that, that means we don't understand God as our creator, that we're like him in our emotional makeup, in our image. We bear his image. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries, meaning the, the countries. God is the sovereign controller over all people and every nation. But he's also personal, and he invites each one of us to know him. That's what salvation is. Salvation is knowing God and him knowing you. Now, the word doesn't just mean a little bit of cognitive information. It means experiential knowing. I know God, and God knows me. Now, he knows me better than I know him, but I know him. I know him. And even with struggles, and y'all know my family's struggles with my grandchild's illness, I'm not stepping away from God. I know him too well. I know his goodness too deeply. He may not do what I want for my grandchild, but he's done so many things. So many things. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He's not far from any of us. He's not far from any of us. You know, we think the person who's the most desperate, the most addiction-riddled, that one may be the closest because he's already worked through whatever this world has to offer and it hasn't been sufficient. It hasn't been sufficient. God has revealed his existence to us through the created world. Now, let me, but let me tell you this. You have to believe the scripture, not what somebody says that's arguing with you. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20 says... Everyone knows the glory of God when they behold Him in the creation. But they also know Him through their conscience. Because why is it that people innately know right and wrong? If we, only, if we were generated just from multiplying cells that became more complicated, why would there be any sense of right and wrong? The, the idea that there would be morality is absurd. Who makes the rules? How could what's right for Melvin is right for me? How could, you see what I'm saying? Now, some in our culture seem to be going that direction, but everyone knows innately what's right, what's wrong, what's fair, what's truth. Everyone knows no matter how loudly they shout differently. Romans 2, 14 and 15. But because of what we see in creation and what we experience in our conscience, we're without excuse. We, we can't face God after, after our death and at the throne of judgment and say, I didn't know. You did know. You suppressed it. You rejected what you already knew. You felt it. Is that right, Linda? 
For in Him, we live and move and exist. Do you know that? Now, sometimes I'm bad with him. Anybody ever get mad with him? Anybody ever tell him they're mad? I do. I do. I'll get out there in that backyard and shout. My neighbors may not be sure what's... But, but here's the thing. You don't shout at someone that doesn't exist. You don't shout at someone that doesn't have ears. You don't shout at someone you don't have a relationship with. Even the shouting is a display of faith. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So he's quoting their poets. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. If God created people, if our existence is in Him, how can He be something that a person fashions? Can't be. Verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's that man? Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Our lives will be judged by Jesus based on what we do with the truth about God's Son, the Savior of the world, whose identity was confirmed by resurrection by the Spirit. Now here's the result. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. And soon he would leave Athens, never to return. But see, you you don't have to win arguments. We know this. You only need to plant seeds. You don't have to win arguments. You don't have to force people into submission. You need to plant seeds that the Spirit causes to grow. But some of these people, some said, we want to talk some more. That's a good step. But some of them joined him and became believers right on the spot. And among them were Dionysius, a member of the council. This was an educated man. This was a a leader among the people. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. Now remember, this is Paul preaching. They didn't all convert. A few. A few. God has a few. But let me tell you this. You're those few. But you're not weak because there's not that many of you. Because you possess 
the all-powerful Spirit of God and you're a steward of the Word of God that gives new birth. Have you responded to the good news? Have you responded? You can be around church, you can be there all your life and never be against it. That's not what I'm talking about. Have you responded? Have you believed? Have you been born again? Have you? Today's the day of salvation. And if you say, I don't know, I need to hear more, there'll be, there'll be um, counselors down here. Y'all come on, wherever y'all are hiding. Um, <laughs> and they'll talk to you. They will pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. They'll continue to talk with you and, and meet with you. Won't you, Flora? But don't you remember this as I close. This, this is the memory verse for this week. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Will you try that? Answer me. Let's do it. Father, we thank you for this word. May we see our great opportunity to be instruments that change people's lives for all of eternity. In your blessed Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Here's the memory verse. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. I try to find some common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.